0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: It's time to walk to the back of the stand where the truth is really told. I'm Mark Saggers, and on the Sunday nightclub we delve into the sports that matter, the controversial discussions that others aren't brave enough to have. We take a real look behind the scenes in specific stories in sport making the headlines. And this week, it's trans women in sport at the very highest level. We have Olympic star Sharon Davis, Caroline Downey, fellow of the Independent Women's Forum, and Fiona McKenna, sporting director of Fair play for women. First of all, Sharon, uh, happy new year to you and it's good to see you. Aww. And uh, you. I know I, I know we, we're, we're well into February, but <laughs> uh, what's important for me is how far we've got after some of the things that happened towards the end of 2023 and and where do we need to go next to continue to police governing bodies that never totally trust.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the place that we're in is really an awful lot different than it was sort of six months ago. Um, We've got big sports like track and field, aquatics, uh, rowing in the UK, although not in the World Federation, uh, British Triathlon have been really good, Uh, volleyball, obviously rugby started off both union and league. They were the very first in the world to actually do a very in-depth study and to say that it was an increased risk to have males actually playing with, against females. Um, but we've still got 60 sports in the UK, including six combat sports, would you believe? That's fighting sports uh, that allow males to self-ID to actually fight females. So the science hasn't changed. Um, 18 studies out there. Um, one which, you know, one of the last ones was published in the British Medical Journal after 14 years, showing that the reduction by taking, you know... The, hormones, cross-sex hormones, made practically no difference whatsoever. Mm. So the difference on average is about 20% between male and female performance, anything between 10 and 30 at Olympic sports. So the more explosive a sport is, the bigger the advantage and what is quite new is that since january we've had two very big reports out one of which fiona will tell you a lot more about because it was a, a fair play for women report but showing that this is impacting participation by young girls and women in sport so men's sport has um returned to the levels pre-covid women's sport still has not and we have got lots of testimony now from you know from women across 35 different sports showing The parents are removing their children from contact sports like football, where they worry that they're, you know, they're going to get injured and it will be injury that will will stop them from participating in those sports going forward. So if ever they think there's a male on the opposition, they will withdraw their their daughters. Um, And also we've got girls that are giving up because we've got testimony, for example, from a 13 year old girl who who was a goalkeeper and she lost her place to a boy who just identifies, right? These aren't children that are doing anything with their testosterone levels whatsoever. They're just going today, I feel like a girl. And they are losing their position on girls' teams. So that 13-year-old goalkeeper just walked away from the game. And we've got testimony from 35 sports like that. Mm So it is very much impacting. And now, I suppose, the the latest, you know, conversation point has been park run, And the debacle over the fact for the last five years, since since 2019, when the rules changed to gender rather than sex, um, we've lost 20 records that are now held, women's records that are now held by males. And we've been trying to shout about this for five years. When part one eventually decided to remove the records because that was what they 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 got, you know, eventually they decided they would do something. Um, took 24 hours before it was all over every single news channel because it was affecting men. Yeah. And that's the position that we're in. You know, when it affects men, things get done and it gets stopped, and fair play is the priority. When it affects women, it seems we're at the bottom of the pile. And that's what's so disheartening in 2024.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, just to add to, to what you've you've said there, just genetically, when you mention all of these power sports, if I can call them that way between yeah. the two, you know, we have all of the information we need, don't we? With upper limb strength of 40 to 50 percent difference for males and females, lower limbs 20 to 40 percent as well, and 12 kilograms more skeletal muscle mass for men yeah. over women.
2: Yeah, Why and the people they can argue it.
1: against all of this—why do they, they still can't. think they can?
2: Yeah, well, they can't. That's the—that you know, is the point, Mark. And and there has been an awful lot of uh, attempting at stopping debate. So yeah. we've worked our way through that now, and we are allowed to debate at last. But but even now, you know, every time we bring any research, any time there is a, a you know a situation like the park run, the abuse that gets hurled at women who are literally just asking for what men get—that's all that they want. It's the same equality to fair records and fair competition that males get. They're not asking for anything extra, they're just asking for the same. And the abuse that women get is extraordinary. I mean, Mara, who I know you've had on your show, I Mm -hmm. think, but done quite a lot on, on, you know, on on talk TV, you know, has had so much abuse. And this is a woman who, you know, is uh, an absolute elite marathon runner that's competed for her country. And a very, very clever lady as a diplomat, you know, that's lived abroad for many years and all we're doing is presenting the evidence. Nothing more, we're not making facts up, we're presenting the science, we're presenting the evidence, and it's just so disheartening. You know, to say that Parkrun doesn't have an element of competition is utterly ridiculous. Re- report, results up to fairly recently were actually used in British athletics on the power of 10, Um, you know, and athletic data um, that was able to be transferred from the times that was done at Park Run to official records on websites held by British Athletics. And there are records and there are placings. If there's a placing, it's competitive in any shape or form. If we go this person's first and this person's last, that is competition. (laughs) Whether you try hard or no, the person who was first probably did. So to turn around and say it's not got an element of competition, you know, in every... I mean, I'm so pro people doing sport. I've spent my whole life mm. trying to encourage more people to do sport and be physically active. I wouldn't want anyone to be dissuaded from doing part run. All we're asking for is can the records and the placings be fair for people that are biologically female? But, but and who, in this but, NH, but, that seems a ridiculous thing to actually have to ask for.
1: Well, this is the thing, isn't it, Sharon? I, who really out there, apart from the, those sort of people that want to jump on the latest a bandwagon just to stir things up without any knowledge or any idea. Who really wants to have things like, again, you mentioned what's happened in Park Run. Uh, again, the, the hand grip between a woman and a man uh, in Newtons, which is the way they measure this, it, it is so vastly different that any anything to do with boxing and uh, and other... <laughs> Other yeah. where those where those fists are gripped are going to cause real damage if a, if so a let man me tell you or about a trans boxing. woman is allowed to take on another woman.
2: I know. I'm going to tell you about boxing, which is really, really shocking. So uh, obviously a very explosive sport. And we are talking about pound for pound equal weight here. OK, we're not yeah. talking about, you know, a big tall girl and a small guy or a smite. We're talking about people of equal weight and equal size. A male will hit 160% harder than a female onto a less dense bone structure. And this is a serious accident waiting to happen. Now, World Boxing have said, we're not going to allow it. We're just going to, we're going to organise, you know, transgender events, which is great because we do have to make space for everybody. Of course. But in places in in America and Canada and Australia, they're still allowing this to actually happen. The same as they're allowing things like rugby to actually happen, Um, even in schools, you know, and... We will see a very, very serious accident. Someone will have a life-changing accident or maybe even lose their life. Um, So when boxing eventually decided that they were going to protect the female category, the reason that they did it was because men said, we will not box females in the male category. Hmm. So if you turn around and say that transgender women, biological males can go into the female category, you're going to have to allow transgender men biological females to go in the men's category, and we're likely to kill somebody and then we'll be done for manslaughter. And because the men had a problem, it was stopped.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just even other things that, I mean, all these questions are out there. I was looking at some of the, the, the most asked at, uh, uh, before we came on the air, you know, what scientific evidence, this is one that I really thought, exists regarding the physical advantages or disadvantage that transgender women may have in sports compared to cis? Uh, spelt C-I-S for those yes. that don't know, cisgender women.
2: Well, just women, because we don't like the word cis. I know. We don't need a subset of women. We are just women. Transgender women are transgender women, and they are male, and they will always be male, um, and women are just women. <laughs> so, so um, you know, you know from that straight away that there's a bias on it. There's 18 studies, all peer-reviewed, that say that you cannot remove male puberty advantage. These are the studies that World Aquatics, World Track and Field have used All All right. right. So and there's not a single study in the world that shows that you can mitigate male puberty or even male advantage. Remove the word puberty, just male advantage. So there's the science for you straight away. Mm. Um, And also... We don't really need it, do we? You know, we've got every single Olympic result ever in history to know that males and females are different. That's why we have categories in sport. That's why we don't allow 15-year-old boys to play with 12-year-old boys, you know, because we know that it will be dangerous, but it's also unfair. So we have categories across all sorts of different things, whether that's age categories, sex categories, weight categories, or para categories in the Paralympics to offer opportunity across society that we deem as fair. And to turn around and just go that I'm going to identify into the women's category. And mm-hmm. again, what we see is that females who identify as males don't do that. They carry on and race with females, happily identifying as males if that's what they want to do. And no mm-hmm. female has a problem with it, providing they're not on testosterone, which is illegal and against the rules. Um, when World Aquatics put on an event in October of last year, because they said they wanted to obviously you know, make sure they were inclusive. Of course, everybody could have raced in their own sex category anyway. They were always inclusive. No one was ever banned ever from sport. They never will be.
3: No.
2: But when they put this event on in October in Berlin, not a single trans athlete turned up.
1: Yeah, I know. So that tells
2: you everything you need to know. And exactly was, They didn't want to be included. They wanted to race females because that's where they had the advantage. And of course, the Leah Thomas, you know, debatical showed us exactly how big an advantage that was to go from over a thousandth in the world. So we often throw the figure 465 around because that was in college swimming. But actually, if you actually put all the times together in the world, Leah Thomas wasn't even in the top 1,000, and then they beat three American Olympic silver medalists at the National College Championship finals yeah. in the space of a year. That does not happen. People do not go from 1,000 to number one <laughs> you know, in a year at six foot four. It, it, it's just cheating. And there is no other word for it than cheating, right in everybody's vision.
1: So you know, for those that um, want to transition, and want to be part of sport. If they want to do these things, why don't they understand that actually, then taking on other people who want to do exactly the same of you is terrific for all of you?
2: Yeah, and we want
1: everyone to do sport. You know, yeah. whether
2: this is creating new categories, whether this is creating new LGBTQ, you know, groups or clubs or, or teams or, or even you know their own Olympics or whatever they want to call it. But at the end of the day, the whole premise of sport is to make it fair. Otherwise, there is absolutely no point to it. And 51% of this world is biologically female. So I just don't understand how that huge part of the world, half of us, don't deserve the same as this half over here. You know, And, yeah. and it's just misogynistic, really. There's no other word for it. And I have to say, I've been involved in elite sport now for 50 years. I'm 62 this year. And I competed for England when I was 11. Mm. Um, and I have never seen so much misogyny as is around today. I mean, it's just so depressing. And I'm, you know, I'm a mum of a daughter and I know a grandmum of a granddaughter and it really scares me where we're going forward at the moment with the protection for safe spaces, for equal opportunities. Um, you know, that there's a huge um, media reports today about um, males and females' prisons, you know, and how... Unsafe, those females feel and yet their voices are not being heard. We're not even being able to get a voice.
1: And we're joined now by uh, Fiona McEnay and uh, Fiona, Director of Sport Fair Play for Women. I was, uh, I've read, uh, I've been reading a lot of your articles over the years and the, the, some of the, the frustrations as well that you must have in that there is always a problem with some people wanting the results to be right for them.
0: Yeah,
3: and and probably the most common argument we've heard is people saying, people in sports bodies saying, well, it doesn't really affect many people because there are only a few trans players in sports, so what's your problem? Why don't you just accommodate them? And that's a particularly frustrating argument because, first of all, nobody knows how many there are because you're not allowed to talk about it and, and, and there are no sports bodies who are really counting... Um, You know, they might know they've got some, but they really can't say it's not a problem. Um, The second problem with that is that why, if those trans women matter, why wouldn't women and girls matter just as much? The real issue is that one trans identifying male, one male in a sport affects dozens of women. And um, you might remember, Mark, before Christmas, there was a story about a, a football, a women's football league in Sheffield, mm. where there was one male who wanted to play in a women's team. And the impact that had on 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 all the other teams, the players' own teammates were worried about training and getting hurt in training. The opposing teams were worried about getting hurt. They all said it was really unfair because this player could take the ball at one so, end of the field and just run up to the other end. Yeah,
1: I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. Um, just to sort of... Let people know where we were talking about here. I think the, the the lady's name was Francesca Needham, and it was in the Sheffield Hallam area where suddenly it was ruining uh, games, and certain clubs did withdraw from playing against them.
3: Yeah, I mean they tried to get the local FA to help them out, and there wasn't the the the, the problem we've got is that the policy that says that a, a, a male who says that they identify as a woman has priority means that that one player. Francesca Needham, was allowed to play and it didn't matter about the impact on all the others. And as you say, it had a a devastating effect. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it's a little bit like if you picture, if you remember the fast show, you remember competitive dad could pick up the ball at one end and run to the other end. And that's what it's like because one player who's male can be so much faster that the others just don't get get the ball. And they were afraid of being injured if they did tackle. So Mm. they just had to back off.
1: Yeah, no, look, you, you, you make some great points. I mean, Sharon, this is... You know, you've you've been following this down the generations, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and as I have, I mean, I have a daughter who is, uh, plays a lot of different sports. She she played up to a reasonable standard at school. I would that, that the horrors that she would go through though now playing uh, possible rugby, whether it was touch or whether it was full on or um, other even even netball, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but there is that physicality and and strength involved as well. You well, know, explosive I,
2: power. You yeah. know, when you're jumping for a ball or you're defending, you know, you know if you jump three feet higher, it's going to make a big difference. Exactly.
1: But, but the, those that want to change everything so that the, 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 the trans women can do this together. I'll come to you, Sharon, and then to you, Fiona, is, you know, just talk to talk to anybody at any school level who's not got themselves caught up in where the pendulum has gone. And they say, well, this is absolute rubbish. You know, we know. want our daughters and sons to do what is right in their individual sports, learning what is wrong with, let's say, rugby and progressive rugby and other things that are now helping us so much more. But in other sports that you, you can play mixed hockey, but you're not going to play mixed hockey um, for a gold medal unless everybody really is mixed. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, what we also find is Even though things like rugby, you know, rugby league, rugby union in this country and the world body have said um, they do not want males in the female game. When you get to provisional games, if somebody is playing on a team and we have a referee who doesn't feel empowered to do anything about it, they have to have the strength of character to be able to walk up to that person and ask them if they're male. And then if they say that they are or even if they're not prepared to give the information, have enough commitment to be able to send them off the field. We have finding that volunteers are not volunteering anymore because they Mm -hmm. don't want to be put in that position. So that's also ruining the game, you know, as well. Um, Football, we estimate that there's at least 50 trans-identifying males in the female game in the English league in this country. Mm -hmm. And many of them are goalkeepers because their explosive power is so very useful and their extra height and their, you know, big hands. So that's where they have a huge benefit. Um, So it's it's extremely difficult to quantify it constantly because as Fiona said, it's really hard to get these governing bodies to actually work with us and to deal with us because they're all putting their heads in the sand and they're all hoping that some terrible accident is gonna happen to a different federation so that then they can all do the right thing. But if we can get them to poll, which is what we've managed to do with, you know, with swimming, with track, with rowing, those polls come out massively in favour of fair sport. So yeah. that's what they need to do. But but most of them won't even do that. We can't even get them to poll their members so they can get an honest feedback, you know, as to what their members want right. and I mean, I know it's only Twitter, but yeah. we know I did a Twitter Twitter survey. We had sixty thousand people respond in the space of twenty four hours, and ninety seven percent said they wanted first sport.
1: Yeah. So one of the other things, Fiona, that really worries me at times, and having read some of these different things over 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 the last few years, is where so many of those that say testosterone suppression reduces male performance advantage to about combat um, that can compare. Uh, favorably with typical differences between male and female elite athletes. I mean, and this, th- these, these are just stuff of are dreams, aren't they?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's absolute nonsense. I mean, and, it, and there have been maybe 18, 20 studies now published to say, forget, you're wasting your time with testosterone suppression. That's just a fig leaf. But what I, I would say, just building on what Sharon said, is that in any case, in practice, that doesn't happen because what you have is people turn up for a game. And, you know, you can be refereeing or, or say, umpiring a cricket match, and there could be someone who's obviously male, because everyone can see it, Mm. um, but the the umpire cannot call them out for it. Now, as it happens, the ECB, the England and Wales Cricket Board, they don't even bother with testosterone suppression. Their policy is self-ID, and they're saying that um, you can... If someone is clearly too strong, too powerful, the umpire can call them off. But we know, because we've heard from umpires and we've heard from coaches... Exactly as Sharon says, they can't do that. They can't risk being called transphobic. So there's no control on this at all. And and people can't say anything, but when they are polled anonymously, typically you get 80 to 90% of people in a sport who will say, look, I want everyone to be involved, but for the women and girls to have fair sport, they have to have a category just for themselves.
1: Yeah, look, exactly that. Cricket was one of my main sports. And again, I, I just go back that the difference of the 40, 50% for upper limb strength and the way that you can deliver
3: a ball. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm just going to show you this report, which people can get off our website. Okay, Because in there, we've got stories from something like 25 different sports, including cricket. And those are all stories from women and girls who have been silenced in their sport. Um, some have been actually driven out of their club uh, that's how bad this is. And that's why it's great that we're talking about it, because mm. it's a big problem and it's a growing problem.
1: Just just tell us your website now, and we'll ask you, and, and, the, and that specific paper that you've got there. Yeah,
3: it's on the front page. So if they go to fairplayforwomen.com, they'll yeah. find it and they can download a PDF.
1: I mean, I've, I've tried to chase various different uh, bodies of uh, sports around the world <laughs> over the last five decades now. And one thing that I've found a lot is very much in the way even the F.A. are treating all of this in this country still that they just don't really want to know. And they but by not wanting to know, not wanting to do it properly, they seem to think the problems are going to go away. Hmm. Yeah. And
2: they're
1: they're just going to
3: get worse. Yeah. They're afraid of being sued. Sharon said they'd like someone else to sort it out first. They don't. But we shouldn't have to wait for that because so many girls are already being put off sport um, or they're afraid or they don't want to go to the changing room because there could be a male in there, you know, so it's not because there's anything problematic about people who are trans identifying. It's simply because women and girls want we want our own changing rooms. We want our privacy and we want our own teams.
1: I think that's a really good point. And Sharon, you'll be able to talk more about this going right the way back. I know that the difference for you when you were a, a, a star in, in swimming was because of the dr- drug cheats and other things. But w- we have to remember, if you develop yourself from a very young age and you reach the pinnacle of Olympic sport, you always knew in the call room, didn't you, whether you were taking yeah. on fair, fair competitors oh, yeah. Yeah. or not?
2: I mean, it, for for my particular generation, which is the biggest reason that I speak out, you know, because it affected my generation and my friends so very badly and nothing was done for 20 years. So just for those people that, that don't realize um, the, East, the old East German uh, era, these young girls were given testosterone, many from the age of 11 and 12. So they had a male puberty and it meant that they totally dominated swimming, track and field, rowing for literally nearly 20 years and in you know, my particular Olympics, I was one of only three people that wasn't East German that won a medal in the swimming pool. Um, and I was lucky enough to be doing a 400 meter individual medley, which is quite a long race. Um, and so, therefore, that endurance reduced the advantage enough so that I could beat two East Germans, but not the one who set the world record, which stood for for nearly eighteen years. Um, you know, and since then they've admitted what they were taking. Uh, we found the, the you know all of the records of what they were taking through no fault of their own. You know, this was young girls that were put on a system by men um to basically sporting propaganda to win stacks of olympic and european and world medals which they did for an extremely long time they had very deep voices they had five o'clock shadows they had poor skin uh, they had male development and they totally naturally dominated and they would arrive at an international a world or an olympics and we'd never seen them before and they would go in and break a world record and this was because of the testosterone that they had during Puberty, which is nowhere near as big or as strong as males who have that testosterone through puberty. And they dominated the world of women's sport. And for 20 years, the IOC did absolutely nothing to stop it. So I have friends that came forth behind three East Germans, you know, who, whose whole lives would have been different if they'd been Olympic champion. So one of the things that Fiona said, which always rings to me, is that when they say, well, it's only one or two, A, it's not, it's hundreds. We've got records of at least 800 across international sport um that you know they're affecting at the moment uh women's results but even if it's one yeah. that one female that's been displaced why is her opinions her feelings and her equal opportunity so unimportant that she's supposed to just move over so in her
1: own race in her own category
0: yeah.
2: i just, it's irrelevant whether it's one or 10,000 you yeah. know it just needs to be fair
1: well I- I- exactly that Fiona, and I mean, one of the questions here that I don't think half of these uh, uh, bosses of these sports ever really ask, and, and, it, and it's a genuine in one in that, how can we balance the inclusivity and the fairness in sport, ensuring that transgender athletes have opportunities to compete while also maintaining competitive integrity? That, the whole question is there to be
3: answered, isn't it? Yeah. Well, let me tell you what, what we think. Um, your identity doesn't matter in sport and it shouldn't. No. No one should be excluded from any sport because of their identity or their sexual orientation or anything else that isn't relevant. All that matters is your body, and your body's either male or female. And we we can be inclusive of everyone by having, for example, a swimming of done, a female and an open category. So you don't have to declare anything you don't want to declare. But the female category is an inclusion measure. That's how we let women and girls have fair sport. So we can't let male bodies into female competitions. That's not inclusive. That starts to exclude women and girls.
1: And where are we in making sure that this now is seeing sense? The pendulum on so many things over the last decade has swung a long way uh, away from how a lot of people think on a lot of things. Is it beginning to swing back? Are we getting these governing bodies to be able to sit down and listen to people like yourselves? Fiona first.
3: Well, Sharon mentioned some of the sports that have made a change already, um, but there are many still to go, and a lot of them don't want to hear from women and girls who object. They make it very difficult for people in their own sport to speak up. Some of them will speak to us, but they still think, they seem to think that... Males with a trans identity matter more. And until we, you know, to me that it just seems basically sexist, you know, so until we get them to recognise that the female category is the only way to have fairness for women and girls, you can't start including other people in that category. Then we've still got a long way to go. Yes. I mean, football, as Sharon mentioned, I think is now the biggest sport in the UK that hasn't protected the female category. And it's a big problem.
1: Yeah, it, it really is, Sharon, isn't it?
3: It is a
2: big problem. Um, I think the way that we're going and the way that we... we And, and it, we shouldn't have to do this, right? The, our governing bodies should be doing this for us because it's their job to protect fair sport and it's their job to protect females as much as males. But the way we're going, and, and Fiona can tell you a lot more about it because she's very much in touch with Lynn, mm. is court cases. And it's been quite difficult. You know, When we've got young people, they are so intimidated to come forward um, and they're obviously very reliant on their sponsorship money and so it's hard to get them to break to to break you know the silences i hear it they speak to me they speak to fiona they come on the i have phone calls every single week from from young people in tears you know not knowing how they deal with this um and as i said we keep trying to push the governing bodies for polling and then when they poll then then they you know have to be have to react but i think court cases possibly is the way forward and every gender, gender critical court case we've had we've won
1: yeah.
2: um, and we've now got one happening in pool in, in, uh, in the UK. Uh, Lynn Pinch is incredibly brave to be doing what she's doing. We had it with the anglers, but what we're finding is it's falling almost to middle-aged women that have got the courage of their convictions to say, I'm not going to accept this. I want to make my sport fair for the generations that come behind me. So rather than trying to get young people to come together and you know, the argument we hear all the time is, well, why don't young women just not race? Yeah. It really isn't that easy. No. You're asking them to give their dream up. You know, if they've got one Olympics in them, you're asking for them to, to walk away from that. Or they're made to sign contracts,
1: Yeah, I, which
2: says they're not allowed to talk about these no, things.
1: I, un- I, un- so, I understand all of, so all it's, of it's that.
2: It's not as easy as them just saying we're not going to race. You know, we do know the cyclists came together behind the scenes and they put a lot of pressure on British cycling and British cycling eventually were made to do the right thing but they had to be literally blackmailed into doing the right thing um which is extraordinary isn't yeah. it when we have the success that we have in women's cycling that those women's cycling were so disposable that you know they had to threaten yeah. to not be not to not to race
1: and fiona thank you very much for being part of this with us it's something we will revisit and keep an eye on of course because that's what we do with this um Sunday night club. But a final sort of overall thought for you here, where I don't really want to talk about winning and losing as far as this is concerned, because it should just all be winning.
3: Yeah, I think my, you know, what we'd like to see is more mums and dads speaking up, because as Sharon explained, it's really tough on girls coming up through their sport um they're afraid of getting on the wrong side of people they also want to be kind girls are schooled to be kind and be inclusive but they're doing that at their own expense so so we'd love to see more mums and dads and 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 adults generally and frankly men generally saying you know men have fair sport why wouldn't women have fair sport too why are we having to argue for this let's just put it back to how it used to be we all know the difference between male and female let's let's not pretend that we don't so yeah, we will keep going, won't we, Sharon? We will. We will keep
1: going.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: And I'm delighted uh, that alongside Sharon Davis now is uh, Caroline Downey, education reporter for the National Review, who has taken on already many in America over such issues. Um, and a very good evening to you, Caroline.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Great to be with
1: you. Yeah, well, it, look, it's, it's good to have you with us here. And and some of the nonsense that y- that you've had to write about when it comes to everything from senators to people who feel that they know more about Uh, sport than you do, when there is obviously, for many of them, no thought about whether there should be a level playing field or not.
0: Right. Well, the UK is very familiar with this, but in the United States, it cannot be overstated how pervasive male invasion into the women's division of many sports, from niche sports, extreme sports, strength sports, even, you know, mainstream high school basketball, Just just how serious it really is. And like you said, the adults in the room from the governing bodies such as the NCAA or, you know, any any of the overseeing organizations, but also the politicians, the, the congressmen, the senators who are supposed to be calling a spade a spade and saying this is not only unfair to women who have fought their entire lives for the right to competition that's that is on an equal playing field it's also dangerous and it's not safe and we've seen this in volleyball I covered the case of Peyton McNabb a North Carolina high school volleyball player who suffered a concussion in addition to physical and more emotional trauma because she was pummeled in the head by a projectile spike by a male on the opposing team who she did not know was there and then there was French French Canada, I interviewed a boxer who was set to go against a male in the ring uh, the day before she found out, not because the organization informed her, she had to find out through some informal channel that she was set to face a man with physical advantages that far exceeded her own by birth. And she didn't give her consent. So she had to pull out at the last minute. And so the wool has been pulled over women's eyes Mm -hmm. and, and they're losing titles. They're losing trophies. and and much more.
1: This is heartbreaking. But why is it that governing bodies with all now the science out there just taking not I don't want to call it the realistic view, but the only view?
0: Right. Well, I think they're afraid of liability, but I think what we're seeing with just the the gender story across the board is that liability is going to the onset will be delayed and it's going to come from the opposite direction. There this is producing an army of victims, women who feel like they they they've been robbed from. Their their uh, athletic opportunities have been stolen from them and and also like I said they may suffer injury. The, the consequences of which could haunt them for their entire lives. So while all these governing bodies are trying to hedge their bets by setting testosterone limits, for example, for male participants, they think that's the middle ground. They think that's the solution, but it's really a band-aid and it's a cop-out because let's, let's be real, that will never neuter a man's physical advantages that will never change the muscle mass that they are born with. That's in their very DNA. All it will do is, you know, kind of equalize the hormone levels. But they've never really appealed to science to show that that somehow makes the playing field fair.
1: (laughs) No, Look, we we completely agree with you. And Sharon, with this, I mean, this is this is this is Quite scary, really, isn't it? That the, the, Well,
0: uh, I mean,
2: the insanity of this is, let's to go back to the Leah Thomas situation again in the nc 2 A's yeah. because obviously that was brought up, which is the college championships in America. So they set Leah Thomas's uh, testosterone levels at 10 animals. The average female doesn't even make one, even an elite athlete. So Leah Thomas was allowed to reduce their n- testosterone to 10 and still carry on. <laughs> And then here, just to add salt into the wound, if a, a female athlete was caught with, you know, any form of uh, synthetic testosterone in their system, which even have brought their testosterone levels up to two or 1.1, they would receive a four-year ban. Mm. If Leah Thomas was caught with more than 10, bearing in mind there's no official testing system in place either, but should she have been caught, she would have had a wrap over the knuckles and been told to lead the sport for a year. So, there, at whatever level you look at this, the unfairness is just extraordinary. It's just constant in every single possible direction. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you can square this circle it's just not possible you know things like q angles which is the angle between your hip and your knees again that never changes you know it's always the same if you're male it will be the you know it's what you are the simple solution to this is to bring back sex screening we had sex screening in fact i had a sex test in 1976 when i competed in the olympics when i was 13 100 years ago and it's the simplest thing in the world it's a swab to the inside of your cheek it's once in your life because human beings cannot change their sex yeah So we have a female protected category and we have an open and inclusive category where everyone is welcome to come and compete. And if that's not good enough, then the trans community need to organize their own events if that's what they want. With the help of all the governing bodies, you know, to say, how do we help you create these leagues like they're trying to do in boxing or whatever. But this is all about a fair environment for people to be able to compete I think one of the most heartbreaking things that I had this summer Mark was parents ringing me up of primary school children and saying that primary schools across the whole of the UK are now having co-ed races because they don't want to get stuck like a rabbit in headlights and not a single little girl is winning a race on sports day in primary school So what message are we giving our kids, our young girls? We're telling them they're A, not worthy and B, they're not good enough. It's horrendous. Yeah.
1: And with that in mind uh, as well, Caroline, you know, I, I always hear now a lot about how what role should a medical or psychological assessment play in determining the eligibility of the transgender athletes in women's sport? Surely we've got to be looking at the women in women's sports and worrying about their mental health.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, to to Sharon's point, Mark, young women school age will be deterred from entering sports altogether because of what's happening with these scandals. I mean, they they don't feel like they have a chance anymore, which is so ironic, considering that feminists did make these strides after a lot of tireless effort it's over so many decades and now it's all being re- regressed it's it's all it's all being un- unwound you know and the other point about the medical examination is that the the problem is across these sports there is no unifying dictate saying this is how you qualify if if you are a transgender applicant th- there is no like one like policy, they all have different rules. And so some governing bodies for certain sports, all you have to do is declare that you are a different gender identity. You don't have to demonstrate that you've undergone transition or have received surgeries or procedures. Some of them don't actually have testosterone requirements either. So yeah. it's really open season across the board. And there there needs to be some sort of, I would I would argue, For the United States purposes, the Supreme Court has to weigh in.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think what we also don't talk about is, and you say that women have made great strides. We have, you know, we've made great strides. However, only 2% of the U.S. sponsorship dollar in America goes to women. In elites, you know, goes to women. 2%, right? The rest goes to men. Here in the U.K., 1,000 women earn their living from sport. 11,000 men earn their living from sport. So women already have this tiny piece of the cake. And now we're being told we're not even entitled to fair sport. So mediocre male athletes who can't make it in in men's sport are identifying into women's sport and taking away those tiny chances that we have Mm. to actually have a platform to create a career. You know, Mm -hmm. you couldn't write this stuff. I mean, honestly, if someone had told me this was going to happen 10 years ago, I would have just laughed in your face. I mean, I really would have done.
1: Mm. What? uh, Sorry, Caroline.
0: Oh no, so this is this is how a lot of women at a young age develop confidence. This is how they develop a sense of self-esteem with their peers. They, you know, they learn a new skill and they master it and it's amazing this competition to be able to practice that at a young age and to have it stripped from you because of some farce of gender inclusion, which is the new sacred cow of western civilization is it, it's truly dystopian.
1: Yeah, no, exactly that. Just one final point from uh, both of you uh, here, Caroline, uh, for you. And thank you very much indeed for joining. Are we going to get to a stage here that you're going to find at a time where you need the next generation for all sorts of reasons to embrace sport, to enjoy sport, but also if they're good at it, to believe that is a way forward for them as individuals without this worry that it could be, at any stage of their development, if we don't watch it, something terrible could happen because they were up against a a, a trans woman.
0: Well, this is the the scary part, and I think more cases are materialising in which a female athlete is on a team or maybe she's in a solo sport. She doesn't know she's going up against a man because maybe they've disguised it quite well or the governing body didn't bother to inform her. And so she doesn't really have adequate time to, first of all, prepare, but really respond or give her consent. And so in terms of the generational divide, I think Sharon would agree with me that there has to be the older generation of coaches, of Olympians, of athletes from whatever level intervening in this conversation and saying, this is absurd. These are these are young women. And uh, we need advocates that are adults because these these girls don't have them right now. And sadly, it's it's the ones they they least expected it to to betray them.
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, that Caroline makes a really good point, actually, with the coaches, Mm -hmm. you know, and actually with World Aquatics, it was the Coaches Association who put a lot of pressure on World Aquatics to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, a lot of these sports don't have coaches associations. For example, track and field doesn't. You know, you'd have thought that one of the biggest Olympic sports would have a fantastic coaches association where they could all come together and exert pressure. They don't, they're all very individual. So we're very grateful you know, to that World Coaches Association who work every single day with the athletes and know what the difference between a male and female performance is and was prepared to stand up for their female athletes. But you know, thought the governing bodies would do that. That mm-hmm. is their job. And I'm just so disheartened that here we are 40 years after the whole East German debatical and we're back to square one again where women's sport is just disposable.
1: But we will have to continue with people like yourselves to police this and make sure that they're continually found out for what they're trying to destroy. Caroline.
0: Yes. And I do think class action suits are coming. There's plenty of litigation in the United States that's ongoing right now or or pending concerning plaintiffs, women who say that they were not only denied equal, fair competition in their sports, but, you know, maybe they suffered other harm. They suffered, you know, reputational harm, or, you know, they were ostracized by the authorities who were supposed to be on their side defending their right to compete. And so I, I really think this has to end at the top, uh, which I think is the Supreme Court. And we've seen with Riley Gaines, who really has been the kind of antithesis to the Leah Thomas. She's been the spokeswoman on this issue, a swimmer like like yourself, sharon and uh she's pointed out not only the biological differences that should be obvious to anyone but apparently now need to be explained in scientific language what differentiates the sexes but also you know th- this is becoming um this is encroaching into every sport i mean ballet badminton disc golf it's it's everywhere yeah. and if we if we don't draw a line in the sand now it will uh, have progressed too far
1: so, Caroline, thank you very much indeed. Sharon, just under a minute for you to sum up and know that um, people like well, us here want want to be part of this going forward and raise it at every thank opportunity. You. Thank you.
2: I'm just going to read you one line here, which is from the Equality Act of 2010. S 195 is the clause, covers all levels of sports, game and activity where one sex has a physical advantage over another. That is written in law in the UK. There is no way that any sporting body is going to lose in court if they protect a female category. And that is what I find so depressing, is Mm. that the law at the moment in this country does protect the ability to to segregate and have female-only sport, and the governing bodies are choosing to protect and give the opportunity to transgender identifying men over females.
1: That's it for this episode of Back of the Stand. And thank you to all my guests and, most importantly, to you. Hope we've given you something to speak about. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. So from me, Mark Saggers, we'll take that step up to the back of the stand next time. Goodbye.